Hello and welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today we have super special guest. Her name is Emmy Cross. Emmy is a Spartan pro. She is a gym owner and also an OCR coach. So she has been a trainer for almost a decade now and has a great depth of knowledge on how to connect with athletes of all levels. And she's also gone through her own personal transformation as an athlete and has progressively gotten better year over year over year. And it was capped this past year with a 10 place overall in the U.S. National Series after a couple of really great breakout races. So she knows how to improve herself. She knows how to make other people improve. So we had a great conversation about those exact topics. Cool. So a couple few things on the reinforced running and if you are into the hybrid racing and high rock stuff, we got some fun stuff over on YouTube. These past two weeks, I released a update on my own training and some of the ways that uh, some of the workouts that I've been doing and the results that they've gotten. And I just released a new video about the four best shoes for high rock. So very cool stuff. Link down in the notes. If you haven't given uh, Reinforced Running a follow on YouTube, do it. Subscribe. Good stuff coming your way. All right, here we go. Emmy Cross. All right, we're on. Emmy Cross is here. Hey, Emmy, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So I want to jump in and talk a bit about your season uh, from this from the jump. Like, there's a lot we can talk about, right? We are uh, Spartan Pro. Had a great season. You're a, a gym owner, and you have some online stuff going on right now. But I kind of want to just like back up if and taking talking to you but a year ago from like today and like going into like what the 2021 season would have been, what would you say like some of your goals were leading into that? And like, how do you think you like went about them? And how do you think, how do you think it went? Um, it was so hard. If you, if you think back to a year from now, it was so hard to even think about having a season because you didn't know what races were going to be on. And it was, I think I was just sort of treading water, just kind of waiting to see what happened. And I know that people were gearing up to go to the Jacksonville race in uh, February, but I wasn't prepared to do that. I kind of wanted to wait because there was the talk about vaccines. And I thought well, I'd rather just wait until I have been vaccinated and everyone else has been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one wasn't on my radar. Um, and I just didn't really know. Like I, I looked at the races and I kind of, usually try to do ones that are within driving distance so just stay locally on the east coast um but i'm just glad that last year turned out the way that it did and the races were on and they you know started off with the precautions that they felt were right at the time and some of those just kind of eased up throughout the year we never got our uh changing rooms back (laughs) even by the last race that i did in november it was still just change outside so i ended up buying um one of those shower togas, <laughs> which was <Yeah>. really useful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a great year last year. And um, it, it, I have to be honest, I went to my first race, which was in April. And I didn't really have any expectations. But at the same time, being a competitive athlete, you want to do well. I didn't do well. And I kind of was at a crossroads at that point. And it honestly was like, okay, I either need to change what I'm doing or I'm just going to quit because <laughs> I wasn't enjoying the training. Like a lot of people, hmm. oh, I love running. I love lifting weights. I don't. And I feel like in some ways that makes me far more relatable to my clients because every so often I'll hop in and I'll work out with them. In fact, I was actually doing that just earlier today. And we're doing my workout that I've programmed for them. And we get to this one exercise and I'm going, oh my gosh, whose idea was this? This is awful. And they're all going, it's your idea. <laughs> so I feel like that makes so- be more kind of down to earth and relatable because I get the struggle. I don't get up in the morning early, like, oh, 5 a.m. Woo, yeah, let's go running. I'm not that person. It takes... Hmm. effort mentally to get me to do this stuff and sure i feel great afterwards but there's no runner's high going on in this body (laughs) um and i think that Hmm. you know when i look at how successful i was last year i'm just you know i'm glad that i kind of made the decision and 
for me, I ended up hiring a coach, which was, you know, a mm. big, big deal. And that's why I'm so excited about launching my own coaching platform to help people kind of turn the corner in their own struggles and, and get, you know, even if they're have never done a race before and they kind of want to get their feet wet or somebody who's been at it for a while and wants to take it up to the next level. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to help them with that because I, I've been there, you know? So with that, like not being that person that is just in love with the training, in love with running in particular, because that's a big part of this sport, right? right? A lot of times people come into it and it's, uh, like it's fun. It looks fun. There's obstacles and, you know, you get to lift a little bit, the training's a little bit more fun, but at the end of the day, it's a foot race, right? So like running has yes. to really be the crux to, if you really want to take that results to the next level. So for you, like where, where is the joy then? Like, where do you take joy out of preparing for this each day? Because even if making that step to hire a coach, you're, you know, you took the, you came to that fork in the road. You're like, either I'm done because I, I just don't see it or I'm going to double down and, and commit. So there has to be something there that you wanted to hang on to or to, to explore a little bit more. Like what, it, what is that? It's a good, it's a good question because just because I hired a coach, it didn't mean that suddenly I loved working out or I really enjoyed running. Um, I would say that the most enjoyment that I get from racing is the kind of the lead up and the build up and the excitement before a race. And then when you cross the finish line and you're all hanging out in that finisher corral and you're waiting for other people to come across the finish line and you're cheering each other on and, and then you kind of have that post race high and you, and of course this obviously does depend on what result you get, because if you didn't place or you fell off something and when you shouldn't have, and you're disappointed, then of course that it's not the same, but having been a successful year, I had far more of the excitement post race high, mm -hmm. high fives, you know, got, you know, came in where I wanted to. So I really enjoy that because the joy of racing and OCR is in the, relationships that you build with other people that you see regularly out on the course and those are the people that truly understand you so clients can look at you oh wow you know you're amazing and you work so hard but no one understands unless they do it how much hard work effort and sacrifice goes into what you do and how you achieve the results that you get and so then you really feel like you're kind of among friends and almost family because they get it. The other races get it. What? And it, and it is, it can be a real sacrifice. You know, it's, Oh yeah. Like I mentioned, I'm not an early riser. So getting out of bed when your significant other is all cozied up next to you and you're like, okay, I'm going to get up and go running. That's a sacrifice to me, you know? And, and, then there's been times when, because my um, husband travels mostly with me to go to the races, um, and I have a stepson who's 10 now, and so on race weekends when we have him, it's a kind of a tie-up, like, are they going to stay at home and do something that maybe my stepson wants to do, or there's an event going on or something, or are they going to come with me? So that's, you know, a difficult toss-up too, but... Um, just last year, we took my stepson to Vermont to the Killington race, and he had mm -hmm. the best weekend. He enjoyed himself so much. He was absolutely in love with Vermont. I, He said, I don't want to live in Virginia anymore. Can we move to Vermont? I love the mountains. I want to go to college here. And he said, why have you never taken me here before? Because this was our third Spartan race there. And I said, well, we asked you the past two years if you wanted to go and you said no <laughs> and this was the first time got, he said yes so that all brings, bring them up in the winter time right? see how see how things change that brings in, in the Vermont. joy to it as well is having that shared experience when you can go with your family too because it's mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. it's also not the same for me when I have my race experience and there's no Greg, my husband, like it's when I see him there at the finish line and he's there with a high five and like, what do you need? You know, it's, it's not the same when he's not there. Cause even though he hasn't been out on the course, mm -hmm. when you have your kind of data dump and your download, when you're 
when you've just freshly finished the race. Oh, I got to this obstacle and this happened, or, you know, I passed such and such at this obstacle and I got ahead and da da da. Like when you don't have your person there to talk to you about it, it's a different experience. But what I found last year was once I got going in my season was I couldn't wait for the next race. Like I would see, look at the calendar. Okay. It's three weeks until the next race. And I just felt like I was almost living to race because I was so into the season once I got the wheels turning and then you're used to, you know, okay, well, I think it's difficult when you have three weeks because you're coming out of a race and if it's a trifecta, then there's obviously a bit more rest time and downtime involved in that. So maybe you're taking like three days to even a week to recover and then you get to train for a week and then you're tapering before the next race. So three weeks was okay. Four obviously is better. Two, not enough, clearly. But four weeks mm-hmm. just seemed like such a long time. Like, oh my God, I have to wait four weeks before I do that again. So you you definitely you just get into it as easily as you can get out of it. Now, having not raced in, since the world championship in the beginning of December, it's like, oh, just taking some time, <laughs> not doing any training. This is nice, eating chocolates, drinking wine. <laughs> Yeah, you got to take advantage of those those downtimes, uh, for sure. So it sounds like a lot of it's communal for you yeah. that like seeing the people and being in and around it, because uh, that is something that the OCR community does have is that it is open, it's friendly. I hear that from other people who come from other sports. Sometimes they're like, "Yeah, it's not like life or death with the competition. It's just this shared struggle that we all yes. kind of go into and kind of come out the other side." I mean, everybody wants to do well, but not to the uh, extent that we want to see others not do well for sure. So it sounds like you got some real good positive momentum rolling. And like you said, like that cycle of going in and out of like three or four weeks at a time and, and, and really being in on it. So do you, do you worry that because of like this downtime, like that, that you'll kind of fall out of that or something like that. Or like when you look back at it, like I wasn't, when you look and see when you were in a really good groove, are you planning on having a way you can kind of harness that or how do you plan on getting that back this year? Is it just simply going to be a matter of like your schedule or is there like a mindset piece that goes along with this momentum uh, that you had kind of built up? Um, I think that first and foremost, it's going to be creating the race schedule for the year. So, so Mm -hmm. far the only thing that I have, actually on the calendar is OCR world champs in Vermont in September, because I took advantage of early bird pricing, you know, like you do. Um, Being on the Spartan Pro team, we get a season pass. So I'm waiting for that. I can't book any races until I get there. And I hope that we'll receive that sometime this month. see that have you, have you heard there. have you heard any have you heard stuff about the protein i want to say we're supposed to hear i think it's the 13th of january there's a little email yeah. coming out with some details we're talking on the we're talking on the 10th i haven't heard anything either. i don't even know what it's oh, going to yes. be like right so i think i think it's yeah. mid middle of the week we're supposed to hear some more details about the season obviously they've announced the elite um championship for this year they they put yeah. the races on instagram um, What'd you think about it? What do you think about this series? If I'm really honest, I was really disappointed when I saw the races because being <laughs> just honest, the ge- close, geographically, right? Yeah, nothing is close. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. Like they couldn't have just given us one race. Not one. I was nope. disappointed nothing. in the geographical locations. I was also disappointed that they're requiring four races versus last year's three because three is a lot mm. more manageable. Um, so I'm on the fence. Like, I don't actually know if I'm going to compete in that or not, just because it's extremely expensive to think about all those flights, all that time off work. Um, yeah, right. Cause it would be legit. Cause last year you got 10th, right? Is that where you ended up Mm -hmm. 10th overall? Yeah. Yeah. So, and this season it wouldn't, yeah. Like it's hard to not do it. Two California trips. Yeah. Two Californias, a Utah, a Mexico. And then so apparently, because I was chatting with my friend Erin uh, Sunday, who I frequently race against, mm-hmm. she's in Pennsylvania, and she said from where she yep. is, it's a six and a half hour drive to that location for the Canada race. 
to Blue Mountain. Yeah. yeah and I feel like I, I'm maybe like four or five hour drive from where she is. So technically that one is drivable, you know, in a day, um, a long day. Uh, but the rest are flights. So. Oh, ha- then they have to be flights. Like no, no way around it. And they're all mountainous. You know, yes. there's, you see, you seem to have done fairly well. I mean, you had this, uh, uh, what kind of looked like from the outside, like a breakout race at West Virginia, where you like came in six, I believe in what was a pretty stacked field. And that was your highest U S national series mm-hmm. finish for sure. Right. Yeah. And then the other series finishes, you were like, were around like 11th and 13th or so, so finishing. Yeah. Right. And so the Mount, so the mountain races, you, you seem to do okay with them. Do you like the, you like how they like, cause they're all mountain races this year. I mean, Having, sorry, I got this little dog on my lap. Uh, having the the first race in Jacksonville is like, okay, it's like a sprint. It's not a great venue really for anybody. It's nice, it's for the East Coast. But this is all mountains for this season. Do you like that? Do you think that's good? Um, well, they used to, remember, they did have a mountain series. And I do remember. I mm-hmm. think it was, like on one, there was a year when I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the mountain series, but potentially that was when every, I like that was 2019, no, 2018, I think. Well, I, I was just thinking the year that I thought I'm going to do it is the year that everything oh, got canceled. They, they announced they, they, in 2020, they announced that they were going to do a mountain and a stadium rate right. series, but then they just like everything scrubbed it and just, never spoke of it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We, um, and I, <laughs> The mountains are difficult. I don't feel like currently, or at least last season, they were my forte. I definitely felt like I needed more training on the uphill stuff. Um, And it's, there's nowhere that's very close to where I live where I can go and train running uphill. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to drive a bit. I mean, it's definitely doable, but it's not, there's nothing that's really close to here. It's all very flat. Um, and one of the things that I actually pride myself on last year was that I never, not once stepped on a treadmill. So I did zero, <laughs> I did zero treadmill running, which, you know, if I had one, perhaps I would have done better because I could easily have just got on an incline and practiced my incline running or very steep walking. Um, and I would right. like to get one for this year. Um, Killington, I love that place. It just... It's quite a soul-destroying race, but you just want to go back every year and do it. And I remember last year, I was just jumping up and down. I was so excited. And people were like, why? You know what it's going to be like. Why are you this excited? I said, I don't know. I just I want to get out there and do it. So the fact that it's all mountains, it's – I mean, it can be really difficult when – so for Killington, as an example, it's not really at elevation at the base. Yes, you're going up to an elevation going up it, but you don't start at elevation. Whereas Big Bear was, you know, totally the opposite. You're already like, is there any oxygen <laughs> when you're at the Yeah, you're like office. starting at six, 6,500, 7,000 feet or something like that, right from, and like that's a thing with those West, or with the Mexico races or the Big Bear race where it's at altitude in Utah. For East Coast racers, it's just like, right. it's not an even playing field. So exactly. So some of these races are really going to favor people who already live at altitude and already live in that very thin air, which I do not. Mm. And that's why when it came to that uh, West Virginia race, I feel like part of the reason I did well in that one was because I'm very acclimated to hot and humid because this is what I live in and I train in, having not been on a treadmill, uh, I'm out. If, like through the summer, every time I go running there, it's completely inescapable. It does not matter if you get up at five in the morning, it's still 70 degrees and goodness knows what humidity. It's crazy humidity. <laughs> no, It's like worse almost when the sun's not out. It's like, yeah, it's so humid in the morning. It just, it, it's horrible, but you do get used to it. And there were people who came to that West Virginia race who were just floored by it because that's not the environment that they live in and it's not how they train. So yeah, these mountain races and these high altitude races are going to favor some people very, and it sounds like making an excuse when you say it like that, but it's just the truth of it. It's the truth. Like it does. It's like, 
it is sort of an excuse and but I've used it so many times because it's like if you don't have access one to like living at it or training in it you just can't really replicate it even if you get like one of those hyperbaric chambers or whatever <laughs> and you're sleeping with it like you might get some of the adaptations from that but you're still not training nice. at altitude which is just like not the, so yeah so it's like it's a, it's almost a tall order right and for a series which it looks like they are putting more money toward the top 10 which in um 2019 i finished 10th in the series and it was like 100 bucks right so is that is that what you won for getting 10 oh, you know so this year follow it's, up on that I don't know. I, 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 for that actually. Now you've, um, have you, I just, so I just got a payout the other day, which was for who oh, races. And nice. I looked at all my results for the year. I realized I'm still, you know, maybe about 500 bucks short, but I didn't need <laughs> to include coming 10th. So 600 short. Yeah. Now you're 600, 600 short. short. So. <laughs> you got to audit that. You got to make sure you're keeping them honest there. Okay. But they're they've actually doubled it. So this year it's 200 for 10th place. So that that Ooh, that big cash, that's big cash. But they actually did really bump it up for the top like 2 to 3 is a lot more money than what it was. But like when you're looking at it from that case where it's like three of the races at altitude mountains flights and then are you what goes through your head when you figure out when you're trying to schedule your make your schedule then is it like is this worth it because even like say you go and you run awesome and you finish you know what like fifth to sixth in the series or something like that you, you might not even make your money back right you know so it's definitely so not does that money. does that does that come in <laughs> it's definitely does it, not yeah does that money. factor in at all right um no the money the winnings does not because i'm not at that high high you know, tier where I'm going to be like first, second or third winning the big bucks. So the money doesn't factor in. It is, um, so multiple things. Um, one to see how far you can go currently. So what I mean by that is last year I had no, I wasn't planning to do the U S national series, but two of the races that were already on my calendar happened to be U S national series races. And then mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, well, I actually did pretty well in those, especially that West Virginia one. Let's go ahead and do a third. You know, let's do the series. Let's actually jump in and, and try it. And it clearly it worked out well. So there's that. I constantly feel like my age is kind of hanging over my head too, because, you know, we're not getting any younger, are we? <laughs> there are certain races who I really look up to. Um, Miriam, the French racer, is one in particular mm -hmm. who I want to say is 40 or in her early 40s. And she's just so. amazing. And then um, there's Faye Morgan, who I want to say is 44 um, and just beats me every time. I've never beat her. You know, I'll, I'll be running <laughs> close to her. And she's so tiny. And then she's, she's like four kids too. So yeah. <laughs> I know that I have several years ahead of me when I can still be highly competitive and I can improve because there are other races out there older than me who are doing it. So that that's sort of something I have in my mind that I'm quite a bit older than some races, but then I'm not as old as others who are better than me and have always been and I still have to aspire to get to that point so there's the sort of feeling like well you can't just sit here and dilly dally for a year you have to use this year and you already lost one because of COVID so right. get busy and let's see what you can do um so that that's definitely a factor but you know on the money front I've been asked so many times oh do you make money with your racing <laughs> I said no, I just spend all my money on it. <laughs> yeah. Very expensive habit. Try yeah. to recoup a little bit would be nice. But. So, you know, so there's that. And, but then because now I want to step into co helping other people and coaching other people, my success obviously plays into that because if, you know, I take what happened last year and I say, hey, you know, this is what I was doing. This is, this is how I achieved it. And, you know, you can be there too. 
and here's this this coaching that I'm offering to people. It obviously looks better if you're doing well in be it your local races or a series race. You know, you get a little bit more respect for for doing that. So that I would definitely say that plays into it as well. I know, and that's one thing that I. I wish wasn't necessarily the case, right? Because the best athlete isn't necessarily a good coach, right? But that it's, is true. it's the accountability, right? It's like the accountability of seeing someone or um, yeah, not accountability. That's not the word. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, it's like you, you just, it looks good, right? It's just like, it gives you some authority if you're yes. doing well, even though like it doesn't really matter. It doesn't necessarily mean like the fastest person is going to be able to teach you how to get fast as they are. But unfortunately, it helps. Right. It and does help. We have always said that because in this area, there are quite a lot of coaches who coach young people who are, let's say, a former um, football player. Right. And so we, we say, well, what does, what, why does that give them the credentials just because they were a former professional player to then coach other mm-hmm. people? So, you know, for myself, I feel the confidence because... I'm, you know, making my mark as a high level athlete, but then I also a certified trainer, um, an SGX coach, a nutrition coach. So I have the credentials to back it up to. Right. And that's where like, there's no, you can't tell what someone's passion is based off of their race results. You know, it's like, and what their ability is to connect with someone who, who wants to improve and, and sees the value at, at that level. You know, it's not always just about how fast you, you can go and how fast you can run. And you've been, you, I mean, you, how long have you been a, like a trainer and a coach and everything? You're probably longer than you've been Spartan racing, right? Yes. I got certified as a trainer. Let's think, let's think in 2011. Yeah. And, um, did my first Spartan race in 2015 and then became an SGX coach in 2017. Right. So it's not like you're like athlete, athlete, athlete all the way through and then like got great results. Like maybe I should coach to (laughs) supplement my income while I'm doing it. It's like, no, no, it was the opposite, right? It was like coach first, coach, 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 found this other thing that I'm passionate about, learned how to get really good at that. And that's really where the account, that's where that, um, I keep saying accountability. That's not the word. That's where the like, that's what that's what should matter <laughs> that's what should matter to people is that like you found it that way as opposed to being like i got success as uh, from the course and now i'm going to try to teach other people you know how to teach people first yes and now you're like practicing w- what you preach on that and which is which is cool um on on the end of athletes who are maybe finding themselves where you were or who who are the athletes that you think you would want to help the most when it comes to uh, like the OCR space, like outside of the gym stuff. Cause I mean, when you're in a physical space, you're going to want people who want to get generally more fit. Right. But when it comes to specifically someone who was going to be a competitor, like who, are, who do you think that you'd want to like reach the most? Um, I'll be honest. I do love helping people who have never raced before. So um, with the gym uh, last year, I have a client, let's back up a little bit. I have a client who is trying to lose a lot of weight. So when he first got in touch with me, he was over 500 pounds. So we started working together and he was losing weight and he likes to, to kind of set challenges for himself. So he was, you know, I'll do a 5k and you know, I'm just going to walk it. And he said, and obviously everyone who talks to me, I at some point end up talking about racing with them. I want to do an obstacle course race. He said, I want to do one on my next birthday. And this was, he was saying this back in October of 2020. So he said, I'm going to book something for October of 2021. We helped me find a race. So we picked out the Arrington Sprint in Virginia because he could then just drive to it. And so I said, I'll do it with you. And then collectively over the course of the year, we got more and more and more people from the gym to sign up and be a mm. big team. And I think in the end, there was about 14 of us who did it, seven of whom had never done a race before. And I stayed with him for the race because he was the priority. And his brother was with him and his brother's girlfriend and my husband. Um, and so we did it together. And then the rest of them kind of went off a little quicker but I just loved how 
they were all nervous before and so they were asking me you know what am i gonna wear and what shoes do i need and what should i eat and should i take food and what like do i need spare shoes and all of these like so many questions and i just loved being sort of the fountain of knowledge and calling upon my other athletes in the gym to share their knowledge from the races that they had been to as well and just being there on the day and being supportive and just seeing how excited and proud everyone was of themselves afterwards i loved that so i definitely want to help the new races and so my coaching is kind of twofold. I'm doing an online course, which is basically everything that a new racer would need to know before they even you know, sign up for the race or they go out to that first race or catering to those new people. But I also want to help people who have been racing for a while and they're interested in turning the dial. You know, let's see what I'm actually capable of if I followed coaching, you know, I'm not just kind of guessing or looking at the Spartan workouts that get pumped out into my email every so often. I, I'm going to have somebody who knows me and where I am now and where I need to go give me that more tailored guidance. So it's definitely the new people, getting them going, like sharing the excitement and then helping the, the people who've already run however many races get to the next level. Because it sounds like Spartan wants to be a, cater a little bit more to the age groupers this year, you know, by having a series that's specifically for age group. And I think that that's great because those people really deserve recognition. And I feel like a lot of the time it's just elite, 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 and then they don't really get the, you know, the celebration that they deserve. Interesting. So it's, it's, it's sort of like your the journey that you've gone on, right? Like going from beginner, even though you might not have been from nothing, but like starting learning everything at first, and then like, then getting to that point, it's like, all right, let's ramp this thing up. So again, it's something that you've lived. So you're not gonna be faking it, right? You'll know all the steps along the way. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I think like that. that having done OCR for several years, you I mean, you learn the good and the bad, right? Every race, you know, there's a takeaway from the race, whether it was something that you performed well at or something that you need to work on before the next time. And you can pull those things from your workouts too. And, you know, you can kind of look at what other people are offering and look at the things that they're having their clients do and think, all right, that's good. But I know that I would do things this way because I want to make sure that you know, there's more of a focus on injury prevention or something. So you're taking mm -hmm. like the best of what you're doing for yourself and then you're adding more into it so that it's just the best program. Because in a way, for me personally, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with this. It's much easier to program for somebody else than for yourself. So for me, having a coach last year, it was nice to just, hey, here's a week here's your workouts, here's your running, here's your strength, go do it. And it took any kind of thinking out of it. Cause I knew that if I sat down and programmed for myself, <laughs> I don't want to do those things. It's what I need to do, but I don't want to do it. Whereas it's much easier for me to take somebody that I've got to know, I know where they are now and sit and craft workouts for them. That is exactly what they need to do and then takes all of their guesswork and brain work out of it and they just get their week of workouts and like okay i'm gonna do it now of course it takes the right type of person so one thing that i also do is i do live online personal training which i started oh, doing cool. during covid so we had to close our gym for two months and people kept telling me, oh, you should do online, you should do online, you should do online. And I said, no, 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 the gym's going to open up, it's going to open up. And then it just kind of went on and on. So I started reaching out to former clients that I had had in California when I used to live there and I was a trainer and said, hey, would you be interested in doing online training? And they said yes. And they referred and referred and referred. And now I have quite the network of California clients. And they are people who like to do, a, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, I'm there with them, I'm telling the workout, I'm critiquing as they go, because if I sent them a week of workouts, they're not going to do it. So there are some people who need mm -hmm. a little bit more hand-holding, 
and some people who are much more self-sufficient. And so I knew when it came to having a coach for myself, I don't need to see you. I don't need to talk to you. You just send me the workouts and I'm going to do it. And so I can go both ways. You know, I'm happy to train people who need a little bit more of the kind of one-on-one, but I'm even more happy to train people who are similar to me and have that work ethic who are just going to take what they've been given and go and do it. It's, it's, it's good to have like those levels that where it can match up with the personality type of who you're dealing with. I know like if like, that's something that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing <laughs> is like the one-on-one in person. Right. Yeah. Like, so if someone came to me and was like, will you, will you like, can you watch this and that? And be like, ah, probably not a perfect fit. So that's, that's actually a, a cool avenue to, to explore and to have experience doing that. Cause it's just, that's just that added piece to really make sure, cause it's like getting the habits in place for this is a, is a, a big part of that as well, you know, and, and just hiring a coach and getting workouts isn't necessarily going to develop those habits that is are needed for the consistent long-term effort that actually does get the, the results that we're looking for. So it's cool. You can really help people develop those habits like in like face to face. I think that's a cool little touch for that. Um, so when, if you were to talk to someone who would be wanting to like that second type of person that you mentioned who has done some, done some races, has done some like training on their own and they want to get their results to that next level. Like, what do you think the first place that you would go? Like what, and, and what worked best for you? Like what was one thing that you did that really helped take those results from uh, like up to that next level? It could have been this past year. Or it could have been previous years before that. Like, what do you think you would point to? Um, well, first thing is going to be to sit down with them, you know, one-on-one, probably Zoom call, because I much prefer to see someone's face than just talk on the phone and identify the strengths and the weaknesses. So what are you doing well at on your own? And what are the gaps that I can help fill in through training? Um, so for me, I knew that I needed help with my running. Um, mm. And my poor husband um, spent so much time telling me, you know, you need to be doing intervals and you need to be doing this, that, and the other. And so then one of my coach is writing these workouts and he's looking at them. He's like, yeah, I told you to do that. Um, yeah, I told you to do that. <laughs> and I said, wrong you messenger. Didn't, you didn't write right it message. down. Yeah. You didn't write it down for me. <laughs> right. So if you would have written it down. I would have definitely done it. <laughs> So it's going to be, you know, so, you know, there's, there's the running component and then there's the strength and the sort of grip strength component. So we're identifying, okay, are you okay with the running? Do you need help with the running? Like, what are the areas? Is it, is it the quickness? Is it the, the endurance? Um, And then with the strength, like, how are we at the obstacles? Are there things that you're continually finding a problem as you're racing, is is there something that we need to to look at to kind of tweak and tune that way? So it's it's taking the sort of deep dive and getting to know the person and like looking at their past results and kind of quizzing them over what was good, you know, what was bad, and and working on it from then because you can't you can't just give a template to everybody and it's going to work for everyone, which no. you know is what you get if you're and Spartan, you know, to their credit, they're sort of getting better and better with like, try this workout for this and use this workout for that. But it's just they're just pumping out a workout, right? And it's not going to be good for everyone. So yes, there are certain things that if OCR racers do them, they're going to get better. But when you take on a new client, you've got to see what is it that they actually need to work on before you just start throwing things out there. So yeah, it's that initial right. kind of get to know you call um, and, and looking into, because also for some people as well, and we haven't really talked about this, but mindset is really important. So I had a racer come into our gym towards the end of last year. And she said, you know, oh, yes, I do, you know, I raise a new Savage and I do Spartan and she said, you and I raced against each other just recently. And I was thinking, well, she does look familiar. And um, then I realized that I had raced against her at Arrington and she was really fast, really, really fast. And um, she missed her spear, which, you know, I did and Miranda did. 
Um, and then she came off the rig and she said, I think my biggest area that I need help with is my mind because I don't have confidence in myself. And when her husband came in and, you know, I chatted a little bit with him and I mentioned it, he kind of gave me this look like, yeah, that's the thing because she's really good, but she just doesn't believe in herself or she doesn't see it. So mindset's a huge thing because it's so important when you're going to an obstacle to believe that you can do it because sometimes that's all it takes is just that self-belief that you're going to cross and hit the bell. And when you go into it with a negative mindset, which I'm sure we've all done multiple times, it often does not end well because Mm -hmm. you've already, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're not going to make it. (laughs) For the spear, the spear is like the quintessential obstacle for that. It's just like, Matt, I missed it. I'm probably going to miss it this time. And you do miss it. (laughs) So you might as well just be like, I'm going to hit it. And you'll probably still miss it, but that's fine. But yeah, that's true. Like, it's not like a blanket thing, right? The answer is going to be, it depends. Like, because that's a great example of the person you mentioned who had all the physical gifts there. But it's like, all right, we don't need to do anything for your training because it's already like, it's working. But we need to work on like, the the softer side of things like how you're feeling about the race your strategy like what what you need to do to to move it the most for you in terms of the results and in, in your instance it sounded like the the harder running intervals was that something that you needed to kind of put into place what what was the why didn't you do those before you know you had i'm sure like you knew of them i mean your husband was telling you about them right so like what was that type of uh, like barrier for you to really jump into that to to see how how it would improve your running. I guess it was um, I was far too focused on distance. Like I have to run a certain distance, mm-hmm. and I have to keep running more distance because at some point I know I'm going to be running a beast, right? So I have to I've got to work up to it. So I've got to I've got to get the mileage in, and I was never content to just go out and do. Um, like one of the one of the programs that we're a massive fan on in our business is Sprint Eight. Are you familiar with that one? So it's, I'm not sure. What um, is it? Sprint Eight is basically a type of high intensity interval training. And uh, my husband's friends with the guy who created the program. Lots and lots of science behind the improvements that you can get in your fitness and your speed from it. But it's essentially it's two minutes to warm up on, and this is whatever. It could be running. It could be you're on a bike. Elliptical, not a good idea because my husband was demoing sprint eight to somebody and was going so fast that his foot slipped out of the cup, the foot cup, and like got lodged in the elliptical and so badly bruised. So not elliptical, (laughs) but basically 30 seconds as fast as you can, like really as fast as you can, 90 seconds of active recovery. You do it eight times and then, you know, you have your two minute cool down on the end. So it's 20 minutes. And I was never prepared to go out and just do a 20 minute run because, well, I'm not going to run for long enough. Like I need to get my distance. I have to get my miles in. And so I was very resistant about doing that stuff, even though once I started adding in the intervals, oh, look, you're running fast. Your pace is increased makes the easier runs even easier yes. right it's like when you start to work on that speed stuff so okay so it was more of an equation of like figuring out what was what you needed more like volume versus yeah. intensity and, and it sounds like you built up a long time yes. doing the volume stuff and now if my husband hears me saying to people if people ask me for running advice and i tell them to do intervals he's like oh really intervals really where did you come up with that idea <laughs> he loves to give science time. You're like it was, the science told me the right because but that's the same thing right like how it's not going to be one size because there's a ton of people who will just do intensity and without that volume that you had already kind of built up like you can't handle the intensity the same way in something like like that sounds like a highly anaerobic workout right, right? like 30 seconds hard as you can lots of rest so you can go hard eight times in a row, like that, that will work really well. But like, if you are doing that in a race or something, like and you're pushing to that point and you're aerobically not fit enough, it's, you're just gonna, you're, you're gonna get fatigued too quickly. So it sounds like you did a good job of building that base, you know, maybe unknowingly, but then now that you're doing the intervals, it, you can handle it much better. It's, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and that, and to be honest, so what was like it? doing that stuff 
doesn't help with my love of running because does not <laughs> because it's <laughs> horrible. And um, when I have people, so we 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 have people do uh, mostly. I I might be have people do maybe sprint four or sprint five. We just cut it a little shorter um, at the beginning yeah. of their workout in the gym. And I will tell them you should be pretty pissed off with me for like after you're done. Like you should not like me very much if you're doing it right. If you can talk to me while you're doing it, you're not doing it right. If you you know get off the bike or whatever ski row. And you're like, okay, what's next? Then you weren't doing it right. You know, you should be pissed off because when you're doing it right, then it's really hard. It's maximal effort and it's not fun. I mean, some people like it, no. but those are just a different type of people. <laughs> they are really fun when it's over. Right. They are so fun when it's over. <laughs> but it's also a part of one, one way that I, because I like – when I'm doing training, I lean towards shorter stuff. I kind of like anything from 60 seconds to uh, three and a half minutes, right? Like, but like really fast. So I don't like doing the slower, longer, grindier stuff. But when I do get into it, it's like, it, it feels like more, it's like I'm training my brain, mm. you know, training my brain to like, to be part, to like, be okay with this yes. type of feeling, this type of comfort where the shorter stuff I get done and I'm like, Okay, great. I don't have to think about this at all. But it's to me, it's just as important for training your brain to get ready to do those type of things um, I, because it is super hard. It it's is, really hard. and it's that it's that kind of phrase or saying: get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because if you do something like that, where you're out of your comfort zone enough times, even though I'm not saying you're ever going to get to the point where you enjoy it you will get to the point where you just can kind of deal with it. Let's say that um, because, and, and so I, I def, I really notice a difference here for myself. So running, I'm just, I'll do whatever running I'll run up a hill and it's fine. I'll do sprinting, whatever. But if I try and do the same thing on a bike, it's awful because I'm not used to, the grind, that same grind on a bike. I'm so conditioned mm. to the way that it feels in the lungs or the legs when you're running, when you're doing any of these different things, like set me going up a mountain and I'll just run up the mountain, but on a bike, no way. I'm gonna tap out so quick <laughs> because it's so uncomfortable and it's not a type of uncomfortable that I'm used to because I don't often ride a bike. If I consistently rode a bike, right, and I got comfortable with that feeling of discomfort, then I probably would be fine. Okay, I'll, I, when I see people pedaling up a mountain, I'm like, you're a nutter. But then I realize that people think that about me too. <laughs> yeah, most certainly with carrying a bucket around or something like that. Yes. But yeah, that, that, that's so true. Like being specific around the training and that's like – uh, OCR just kind of wrapped up, right? It's like someone who's a really good runner can come in. And then once it's up a mountain or once it is carrying a sandbag or something, then it's not the same, even though you can be, uh, like you can be okay being uncomfortable, but the specific ways that you're uncomfortable need to need to be practiced as well. And that's, what's kind of cool about OCR, right? It, it levels a playing field, but there is a way to kind of go about figuring out the best ways to, uh, to achieve that discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, just for me on a personal note, the get comfortable with being uncomfortable is going to be one of my biggest focuses this year. So yes, still need to work on the running. Yes, still need to work on the obstacles because it's not like I have a clean race every time. But finding some more mental grit is going to be really important for me. And I feel like that's what let me down in a big way when I did the world championship race in Abu Dhabi, because that grind in the first three miles was just soul destroying for me. And mm. I mentally just was like, I, I don't even care that I, I absolutely hate this. That every time I take a step, I'm sinking down and I let people pass me and I just didn't even care. And, and those first three miles were awful. And I, it, and then after that, it was like a switch went off. And I started to feel like, okay, I'm getting into my stride now. 
and I'm actually okay with this grind. And actually, it's actually easier to run up the sand dunes than it is to walk because the less time you spend, then like you're not sliding down. When you step on it, when you're walking, you slide. But when you run and you just have that light footprint, then you're not sliding down. Mm. And I just... When I finished that race, I came across the finish line. I said, I am not coming back next year. I'm never doing that again. And then after a long sleepless night, contemplating the race, I woke up the next morning and I said, yes, I am coming back next year because it's obviously honing the training. Yes, first and foremost, you've got to get better with that. But it's that mental toughness and the experience of running in the sand. So just thinking about this year, going earlier and spending a couple of days doing some running, like a good few miles in this horrible sinking sand, you know, under the blistering sun, so that when you hit the race, you're already ready for that. And it doesn't take three miles to get into the groove with it. Because I know I could have done Mm -hmm. so much better in that race if I'd just been ready like for for how awful the sand was going to be it it literally took me three miles i would say three three miles i had to pass before i kind of then got into the groove of it and full gaiters that would have been important i will definitely be doing uh, that this year because lesson learned three miles of the race i had so much sand in my shoes that it was bruising my toes and just got so painful mm. Um, that that definitely slowed me down. And now I have three black toenails. <laughs> That's the runner thing. You're just becoming more and more of a runner <laughs> from, from, from the toes, from the mindset all the way to the yes. toes. So like what with, with that, because I, this is interesting, right? Because you couldn't really prepare for something like that without knowing, right? It seemed like that was just, everyone didn't know what I was, was, was saying. I haven't, been practicing running in the sand or if people had they like went to a beach once and tried to run in the sand right thinking about training for it when i finished the race i said one of the best things i can imagine for training for that would be using the jacob's ladder where it's that constantly because when we went up that giant sand dune that's what it felt like to me i was on my my Mm. hands and my feet and, and every time you went up, it was you were just sliding down. So it was like Jacob's ladder. So there's that, but there's nowhere that I can think of that's really within a driving distance of here where I could go and run consistently up a sandy dune. There's just nothing that big around here. No. You know, sand dunes are small. <laughs> no. So the best I could hope to do would be just to go to the beach and run on the sandy, soft, sandy part of the beach because. Usually if you go to a beach and you go running, you purposefully pick the the kind of hard packed, wetter sand, which isn't going to give underneath you. But 75 to 80% of that race was soft sand that even if you were on the flat, it's just, it's just moving underneath every footfall. So that it would be doing that. And then, you know, potentially doing some Jacob's ladder training to help with those, uphill bits yeah like, or like the versa climber type of thing right where it's like something that's yeah. just exhausting all over the place yeah. um <laughs> but it, as opposed from the physical standpoint yeah and like the mental standpoint what you're talking about is trying to create some of that resiliency right because it sounded like it was a roller coaster for you like yeah immediately like it's terrible i'm gonna prepare and then you're like oh, actually this isn't too bad i'm doing all right and you finished fine like where you're 23rd or what was that uh, I think it might have been 26, to be honest. Um, which In an international say, field. I know, considering how many people actually did race and came over from Europe, then, you know, it was, it was a big field. And when you compare it to previous world championships, which have been in the United States, and it's predominantly United States races, very few people coming over from Europe, then I love that aspect of it, that there was just so many people. I got to meet so many British people, um, which is really fun. Like you see them on Instagram and you kind of follow what they're doing, but to actually meet them in person was really cool. Um, But 
before I went to this race, a friend of mine had recommended this book because I got talking about the mental toughness aspect. And she said, you need to read this book. It's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Oh, Goggins. (laughs) So I'm reading this book and, you know, I only sort of started it when I went to the race. But as I'm on the race course, I'm saying to myself, I love sand. I love sand. I love sand because he got to got to this amazing place where he just relished the most awful things that were thrown at him so much so that as he's going through his third time through the buds training and they're like oh you all need to stop and dig a hole he's loving it so much and they can see that he's actually enjoying what's a punishment that they say oh no you need to stand there and you're not allowed to do it because not doing this sucky task is more of a punishment to him. Now he's got to this like amazing place of mental toughness where he can just do stuff that's just awful and actually find some kind of semblance of enjoyment in it. And so I'm reading this book and I'm like, okay, I need to be like David Goggins. And <laughs> I finished the book because I kind of took a little hiatus from reading that, but I want to find more of that for myself this year to just embrace the suck and and go with it because I feel like I'm a really competitive person but when racing I can get to a point where I lose it and that's what happened to me in the world champs and I and I don't want that to happen again because you've spent all of this time doing these sucky workouts to get to this position and you don't want your mental fortitude to let you down in these few hours that you're on the course. You know, you need to have the ability to just suck it up and just go for it because this is what it's all been about. And yeah, I, I thought about Goggins when you started talking about like needing to create that. And the one thing that I'm curious on because the way he, he did it very much through physical exertion, right? And like, he's like, I'm just going to run. 20 miles a day and bike a hundred miles a day. And right. But like in terms of like where we are in as athletes, that would be bad for performance. I don't think that that would, it would probably be good for mental toughness, but you get on the course and you'd be ravaged yeah. and just like, and like I said, with the amount of time that we have, so are there things that you are looking to do in your day to day life or something like we like at the gym or like your work life where you can put yourself into that mental training space without it just needing to be, killing yourself physically? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like I only falter though under that extreme exertion. So mm. in some ways I need to to be in that situation to overcome it. And yes, mm. when he was on that weight loss journey, he did insane amounts of exercise. So definitely, I don't feel the need to do that, but it's just the continuation of kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. So as an example, when I was going to go into the gym the other day, and I was going to actually work out with my clients, and I was prepping a workout, and my husband said, "Um, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'm thinking about the things that I want to do. And he said, no, you need to do the things that you don't want to do. <laughs> because <laughs> that, that's just write everything down and then do the opposite. <laughs> that's one of the things, you know, when it came to like that split decision, what am I going to do last year? I can, I am perfectly capable of writing workouts for myself. I know exactly what I need to do, but it's really difficult to sit down and say, well, you're going to do this, this, and this, because I'm looking at like, oh, I don't want to do this workout and I'm only accountable to myself. If I don't do it, I didn't do it. I don't have a coach that I have to kind of confess to that I didn't do it. And even with my coach, there absolutely could have been days when I said to her, oh, I was too busy and I couldn't do this, but I just didn't do that. Every day I did my workouts and there was some kind of, you know, reporting on there, even if I just literally gave it a check mark to say that I did it, because right. that was the accountability that I needed. So, you know, I guess more so than anything, that was what I needed personally last year was just the accountability of having somebody to, 
you know, to say, give, give me this to do. And here I did it, you know, and, and no excuses because if my husband coached me, I feel like it would be much easier to make excuses and not do things. And if I tried to coach myself, absolutely would, especially yeah. last year because we moved our gym. So we used to be in a small um, 1600 square foot space and we upgraded into a 5,000 square foot space. Sweet. And so there was all the planning in finding the space and a build out. And then there was the actual moving over of everything and reorganizing. And then my favorite, and this is sarcastic, laying the flooring. <laughs> if you can lay flooring together, then you know that you are meant to be together. <laughs> the worst <laughs> job. Huge, huge roll of turf. It's 90 feet long and 15 feet wide. I mean, this thing is a beast. And it doesn't just get to roll out nicely. No, because there's two iron girders that it has to fit around. Oh, <laughs> my God. of, you know, rubber to roll out on the floor and getting finding new clients. Now we have this astronomical rent to pay. Um, right. just there were so many times when it would have been so easy and and i said it myself if i'd been coaching myself i would have made an excuse after excuse after excuse and i would have not gone running and i wouldn't have done my strength training but i was held accountable by having a coach and i did it and it paid off so that's a it's a it's a great place to punctuate this well but you could always just redo the turf every year and just be like, that'll be your mental, that'll be your mental training. Goggins will probably be like, oh my God, I'm past. I'm no. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time and really, where can people find it if they want to find, um, like you launched the course or if they want, or if they're local to, you're more like the Northern Virginia yes. area. Like We're in okay. Northern Virginia. Cool. So wanna... Yeah. And so obviously reach out to me on Instagram. Um, I will be mm -hmm. posting some little kind of teaser clips coming up of my coaching course. If they're within driving distance, absolutely come into the gym. We have a giant rig in there where they can practice all kinds of stuff. Like we have monkey bars, beta, twister, rings, you know, oh, nice. um, the twirly birds. Um, like, and if people want something, we're more than happy to put it in there. Um, so there's, there's tons of stuff, you know, we've got, walls and ropes and just everything you can imagine to get prepped for OCR buckets and spear throw. Um, and as well as, and this is something that we are going to be promoting more this year, but as we want to really kind of set ourselves out there as an athlete testing facility. So um, my husband runs a separate, but not so separate business called Exigo Technologies. And so he designed and manufactures them himself three assessment devices, tools for athletes. Um, they're called the G-Flight, the G-Strength, and the G-Sprint. And the G-Strength would be of particular interest for OCR athletes. So it basically measures your raw pulling power. So we can set it on, like one of the things that we do with all athletes is we set it on a board um, it's fixed to a chain, so it, it has no like pull in it other, you know, there's, there's um, no give in it. You stand on the board and you do what's called an isometric mid-thigh pull. So it measures your raw pulling power without you ever having to pick up a weight. So we can use that to test somebody's baseline strength and improvement and progress from there. But also it's a way to test athlete readiness. So maybe you come in the gym yeah, I'm not mm. really feeling it today. Okay, well, let's have you hop on, do your isometric mid-thigh pull. Let's see what the numbers are compared to what you pulled before. And that gives us a picture of how to guide the workout from there. Um, Interesting. And, yeah. and it, I mean, it can be used, it's super cool for OCR, right? Because we have all of these cool things in the gym, like rings, pipes, um, the 20 mil or 10 mil edges, like uh, the flashboards that rock climbers use. So you can attach the mm -hmm. G-string up in the squat rack, you can sit, and then you can pull at 90 degrees or pull at 120 degrees. You can do your right arm versus your left arm. For just hand yes. strength. You're, you're, you, know, you can do ones where obviously with the ring, you can get your hand all the way around it. Pipe, you're just really reliant on your just grip for it. So 
we use these with our teams. We coach hockey teams and softball teams and baseball teams, but it has such a big place in OCR, you know, as well as rock climbing, as well as physical therapy. So we want to kind of make that more prominent as we go into 2022, that even if someone's not going to train with us, come in and get assessed and see where you are. Let's get a baseline. And that's going to help if you're training yourself, then you've got more idea of kind of where to guide your own training. Or if then you decide that you want help, we can then base what the training is off these results that we get and then have you come in and, you know, retest. So it's exciting. Right. That's that's really cool. Because then like, yeah, it's hard in OCR with grip strength stuff in particular. It's like either you get through an obstacle or you miss it. And like you can blame the grip strength or it's the technique. Typically it's technique. But you can at least know, be like, well, my grip is this much stronger. So it's working, whatever we're doing. Um, that sounds awesome. What's the facility called? So our facility is called Exigo Strong and Fit. And Exigo okay. is Latin for to rise up or to regain strength. And then my husband's cool. company is Exigo Technologies. All right, cool. I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes so people can uh, easily find that if they want to reach out and get some testing done. It's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Cool. I, mean, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and that's just us signing off. Thank you.